0: Well, that's a quick uh, view through time in about 30 years, but it's ending up on a new beginning, obviously our relocation to our new church home in the former Gander Mountain building. Praise the Lord. Hopefully they're going to be uh, using hammers and nails uh, starting early September, so we're really excited for things to get going. But this series, New Beginnings, uh, the, t- the byline is making a greater impact in the world for Jesus. Now, I know mean, that's what church is supposed to be about. Clearly when we come together on a weekend experience, it's biblical. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're here for you. We're here for prayer, for worship, for learning the Bible, for fellowship, to train our children in the things of God, to learn about God. Those are all vital and real. But the mission of the church is not just in our four walls. The mission of the church is in the world. It's in our community. It's around the world reaching people for Christ. Well, in this new series, New Beginnings, uh, it's really more than a sermon series, it's about a fresh start, a fresh start obviously for our church family as we relocate, but perhaps more importantly, a fresh start in your life, a new beginning. If you're here today and perhaps your life is not where you want it to be, it's it's at a plateau or maybe it's been in decline, maybe there's something that you know deep in your heart God wants you to do for Him, but yet you've just kind of let it lay aside, now is a time for a new beginning. And I'm, I'm trying to help you experience this. This sermon series really has two tracks as my message today. One is a, an informing and a provoking about our new church relocation. But two is about our own personal lives. Last week we talked about a very foundational message. Uh, we talked about uh, how to live a life that has lasting eternal significance and how to live a life that leaves a spiritual legacy for people behind me. Now, how many know there's nothing more important than that? All the trophies I earned as a kid, my fun experiences today, I love to turkey hunt, duck hunt, all those things, travel. But how many know none of that has eternal bearing? You can't take anything to heaven but people you've influenced for Christ. And the key, the secret of that was found, as we learned last week, remember we contrasted Peter with a rich young ruler, And one walked away from Jesus when it got hard to follow him. And Peter said, look, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. It doesn't mean he was a poor pauper, but what it literally meant was Jesus is first in my life. And he, to this day, uh, his life bears a spiritual legacy for us. Well, I want to review just a second, if I can, for those that weren't here last week, to kind of talk to you about this new beginning season of our relocation. Uh, We're relocating because we need more room. But the formula I say is this, more room is more people, and more people is more ministry. And more ministry is more impact in our community, our nation, and our world for Jesus. That's what we're about as a church. And as we start this remodeling, it'll take probably 9 to 12 months to do it. Uh, There's a couple ways that we can raise money towards this. We have a tremendous start starting out on the building. I want to say thank you to everyone that's given uh, up to date. And uh, as we go, obviously, like churches do, when we go on missions trips, or when missionaries come, we all give opportunity to invest in it. It's never a pressure. You never have to. Certainly, it's your choice. But uh, I believe this is a good investment. I-, I believe it's a way to find legacy for our lives, at building something not just for us, but for people that are not yet here. And every, we could do this one or two ways. We could every week say, well, the plumbers work this week and here's their bill. Who wants to? Who give me five? Who give me five? Give me 10, 10, 10, 10. Who gave me 15, 20, 25, 100? $5,000. Thank you for the plumbing bill today. I, I, I don't like that. I'm not much of an auctioneer anyway. I, I think that's pressure. It's, 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 it's spontaneous. We're going to take a little more spiritual-focused approach, uh, focusing on prayer, hearing God, and making a thoughtful commitment. And we're taking about six or seven, eight weeks to do that. And uh, this little packet will explain. I sure hope if you didn't get one last week, please pick this up on the way out. It's in the lobby. Um, Actually, a big thing we're going to do today, I'm going to preach about prayer and new beginnings today. That's the title of my message. But a big thing we're going to ask you to do as soon as church is over is is hold off on lunch just a minute. But come, come over to Gander Mountain just a couple minutes and just say a prayer with us. We want to go in the building. We've got it, and it's pretty cool. We've got it all lined out with the flags so you can see where the different sections of the building are. It's amazing when you see how big the lobby's going to be and just the kids' area and things. But go over there and touch it, not just for what benefit it might bring you today, but it will help you see a vision. It will help you see something and see that you can be a part of a legacy to make a greater impact in our city, and our world for the Lord. After that, we're going to have what's called vision desserts. Uh, Too many details for me to share with you in church. I won't take preaching time for that. But these vision desserts are at members' homes. We're doing 10 of them, and they're starting this week, four of them this week. You can sign up in the lobby. There won't be any offerings or anything at those meetings, but I'll be there, and we'll talk about the details of what we're doing. You'll really enjoy it. probably get some cheesecake and hang out with some people. But uh, uh, after that, we're going to have a week of devotions, and this is also in that little packet where you and your family, and I hope you'll include your children, where you and your family can do a guided devotion, all leading you, hopefully, to decide, does the Lord want me to participate participate financially in this or not. I hope he does, but listen, if you don't give a penny, I'm going to love you just the same. Because as I said last week, I don't want your money, I want your heart. I care about you more than I care about what you can do or what you can bring. But I want you to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to pray that week, and then if the Lord leads you to, we're making a commitment for three years. I'll tell you why three years in these vision desserts. But uh, uh, we'll do a couple weeks of commitment. And then lastly, we'll have a big celebration, you know, as we kind of kick off. And hopefully we're timing this with the construction of the building starting. But uh, we'll close it with whatever commitments people have made. I'm going to ask you to bring a first fruits or a cash offering that last uh, Sunday of the deal just to kind of get it going and and start the celebration. So, again, that's what we're doing. And I want to read a scripture that sets a tone for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said this. There was a, a, a famine in Jerusalem, and they were raising money to help the believers there. But here's what Paul said. He said, I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. You've got to decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And that's the bottom line. I promise you I will not pressure you. But I want to encourage you in a spiritual process to find the mind of God. And whatever Jesus tells you to do, listen, you do it and I'll be happy and we'll go down the road. Come on, give the Lord a good good hand. All right, today's message is about prayer because prayer creates spiritual momentum. Can you say that with me? Prayer creates spiritual momentum. Momentum for a new beginning. We're going to look at a man named Nehemiah in the Old Testament about how he cared about God's work and he wanted to be a part of it. But here's the key. Before the new beginning came to the nation of Israel, Nehemiah sought the Lord in prayer. And when people pray, big things happen. Let's look together, uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. And if you're here today and you need a new beginning in your life. I tell you what I would do. Not only would I take notes, you can download the notes to the message, but you mark Nehemiah chapter one because that will teach you how to pray. And this is what I, th- this message is very practical. It will teach you how to pray for a new beginning in your life. Let's read uh, about the need for a new beginning first. Nehemiah chapter one. Uh, Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. Now. Judah is, is where Israel is now, uh, the modern-day nation of Israel. This is where Judah is. Their capital was Jerusalem. That's where God's temple was. It was a very significant place. But the Israelites boo-booed in a bad way. They sinned against God for hundreds of years, and God finally said, Look, you're idolatrous. You don't love me anymore. God took away his blessing, and they were disciplined. And the Assyrians and Babylonians literally took the people in captivity to a foreign land. But the great news is God didn't leave them there because God was not done with Israel. How many know God wasn't done then and God's not done today? How many, and let me tell you, if I can divert just a moment. God has a plan for the nation of Israel in the latter part of the Bible. Israel is a focal part. That's why I applaud our nation for standing with the nation of Israel. Because once again, God will use the Jewish people. That's where Jesus is coming back. Where he going to put his foot down? Uh, so anyway... But, but uh, in their day, in Nehemiah's day, they had returned from the exile to rebuild their temple. But in, in returning from the exile, it was in a disarray. Uh, the walls that protected the city were broken down. They had no gates. They had no former protection. And it's all a picture of a spiritual plateau and a people in need of a new beginning. So Nehemiah asked about the Jews who'd survived, and they told him, the remnant in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So when I read the Bible, I don't read it just for history, but I I read the Bible for an application in my life. So I want you to see a parallel Between our churches plateaued, look around you today. I mean, it's plateaued because we don't have room. They were plateaued because, I don't know why, they were at a spiritual place in life and they needed a new beginning. So again, if your marriage needs a new beginning, uh, uh, your job, your whole life, you can find it with God and here's how Nehemiah found it. Uh, Let's see what Nehemiah did. Look at uh, verse 4. He cried out to God in prayer for a new beginning. Uh, Nehemiah, again, as soon as they told him what the condition of his homeland was, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. In other words, he he had a great life, but he was deeply impacted about what was going on around him uh, among the people of God. Um, He continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So here's a picture of a man when he saw or heard about a spiritual need. It affected him deeply. He fasted, he prayed, he sought God. Now, and, and, and I note this, Nehemiah was not just living for himself, but he cared about what mattered to God. Yeah. Nehemiah didn't need a new beginning. Now, as we'll read later, this guy was the king's cupbearer, which literally he was responsible for giving the king his drink, you know, making sure his food's safe. Which clearly means this guy ate great food. He probably had a great house, great wife. Everything was wonderful. I mean, he had a government pension. You know what I mean? He just he was on easy street. So he didn't need a new beginning. But he wasn't just living for himself. Wow. He was living for God and the work of God. And he made himself available. Um, and, and an application here is in our relocation. Listen, you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, well, I'm just going to change parking lots in about nine months. And they'll tell me when to move, and that'll be it. Listen, if that's you, God bless you. I love you. But your new beginning, or part of the new beginning, it may be in your serving. I mean, we've got people that have been volunteering. It may be in your giving. It may be in helping start new ministries. But there is a part that we play when we see something and have a burden for something. Let me tell you something I have a burden for. When I, in my early Christian life, uh, being, di- being taught the Word of God, being discipled, uh, was extremely valuable to me. In my early Christian years, when I really received Christ, I, I, I went to the Navigators, and they had six or seven little booklets to disciple and train me in Christ. The first scriptures I ever memorized, they helped me do that. Then when I went to my father and my future wife, uh, uh, her dad's church, they had something called a, a training time on Saturday morning. I'd get up on Saturday morning and go three hours and be taught the Bible. Uh, for whatever reason, that's missing in our culture today by and large. I would love to see this emerge when we have classrooms available in our new buildings. See, we don't have classrooms. Part of the problem here but when, that there becomes a hunger in our heart to learn the Word of God, to be taught, to go deeper, you know, to learn apologetics, to know, learn biblical history, to learn how to defend our faith. That's a vision I have, and maybe it's a vision you have, and maybe you're a teacher, and, and maybe we do it together. See, so this is how we, we, we all play a part. But let's, let's go back to Nehemiah verse 5. And this is basically beginning in verse 5, this will teach you how to pray for a new beginning in your life. Now, i got to be honest, there was a time in my life, and I even still to this day sometimes, when I pray, the first thing out of my, heart, out of my mouth is, Jesus, help me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Jesus, help me, I, I have a problem. Okay, not bad. How many can say, I pray like that? some Sure, and that's not bad. The rest of you wouldn't raise your hand if I offered to buy you lunch today. But that's not bad to pray, but there's a better way. Look what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 5. He started his prayer by saying, O Lord God of heaven, the God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, if you're taking notes, I'd write down the word alignment. Prayer doesn't start with our need. Prayer starts with aligning ourselves to the one true God. What I mean by that? Imagine a railroad track. When you see, unless it's a monorail, there's always two tracks, and they're in perfect parallel. Well, imagine if God is one track, and you and I are the second track. If we have gotten off track with God, we need to realign ourselves to God's purposes so we follow Him. We can't ask God to bless us if He's going this way and we're going that way. We want to align ourselves. And the way he did it, notice what he said. You are the true God. You keep your covenant and you love those who love you and keep your commandments. So it's an alignment of our heart. Lord, I want to live for you, serve you uh, uh, as the way that you want me to. Now look at verse 6. He said, Lord, hear the prayer of your servant. And notice I want you to see two things in this verse. I pray before you day and night. Day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. So his prayer uh, was more than just a one-time little prayer around a prayer circle. It was a big need, a big problem, so he gave it big prayer. I use the acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. You see, if, you, if you're in a situation, let's say your life has, you know, you headed the wrong way, and I understand. I had three years of my life when I, I in my late teenage years, uh, I was raised in church, but it didn't do anything to change my life. I was wild and woolly, and drank and drank and partied, and I mean, I, that was my life. And as I look back, and I want you, young people, to hear me today. You say, "Well, gosh, you made it fine. You're, you know, you're a preacher now." Yeah, but the worst memories I have from my life, the greatest regrets that I have from my life today, I'm 62 happened when I was 17, 18, and 19 because I was in rebellion against God. God can forgive us, but how many know the lingering consequence or the pain may follow us? Well, anyway, um, he prayed day and night. He pushed. Uh, When you have lived a life that's, let's just call it wayward, Satan is involved in that. You know the Bible says that Satan, the devil, is like a thief who comes to do what? Steal, Steal, kill, and destroy. And it's almost like little tentacles. If you if you have, have ever worked in the yard and you're gardening, how many know if you get Bermuda grass in your flower bed, you got a problem. It has it has roots going everywhere. You can never get all of them. I mean, and and it will always take away from the beauty of your flower bed. Satan is like that, weaving his way into our life, bringing hurt, pain, confusion, broken relationships, all of the mess, and. Uh, uh, Prayer, it, sometimes it takes a bit of prayer. You look at, uh, well, in America today, the, 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 the most frequently mentioned crime is racism. Everything is racist today in America. Well, don't you think the devil is behind some of that? And don't you think he wants to perpetuate this hatred, whether it's real or perceived? Don't you think he's behind that? Well, sometimes we have to pray a while to get that demonic spirit out of the way. Because Satan, uh, uh, he's called the god of this world, he'll fight there. Well, that was the first thing. He, He prayed pretty serious about it, but notice what else it said. He prayed confessing the sins of the nation, the people Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We've not kept your commandments that you commanded Moses. Now, he hadn't asked for one time for God to help the nation, you know, rebuild. He didn't ask yet for God to send him or anything. he he, he looks back over his shoulder and he said, God, we've done wrong. Now, I want to suggest to you there's some pretty great power uh, in this idea. Sin is like trash in, in, in the fuel. If you know anything about engines, if you get trash in your engine, your motor is going to start running funny or it's going to quit. And they change the fuel filter and then it runs well. Well, sin clogs up our relationship with God. Sin causes us to get off God's pathway and the right way to deal with it is by confession and repentance confession is not to a man but to bring it to God and acknowledge to God that I've done wrong what I've done was wrong and God help me turn away from it that's what you do with your sin but he went back to what got them in the mess they're in I can remember this was probably 15 years ago in our church we were on a plateau and I could, everything you know I would could do it, just, it was just on this plateau And this truth became real to me. And uh, uh, this church was originally a church called New Life Christian Fellowship, or New Life Church. It was located on Martin Luther King Boulevard. It was founded by Pastor Lawrence Kennedy. And it was in the Jesus Movement in the 70s and a bunch of hippies. Well, the story I heard was is they all used to go to an Assembly of God church. And for whatever reason, they left that church in mass, and they went and started this new church. And something I learned over the last 30 years here in Texarkana is uh, most of the time when people leave a church, they don't leave rightly, like we laid our hands on these people today. It's divisive. It's hurtful. Uh, Christians carry hurt and wound over the, over the, the junk that happened in, in the division. Let me can say I've been around something like that before. Yeah, it just happens everywhere. So I found out who the pastor was, and he was an elderly man at the time, and I went to him, and I asked if there was anything that the church had done wrong. If, if anyone had hurt him, if anyone had maligned him in any way, and I wanted to ask for his forgiveness. Why is that? It was just a spiritual principle. You go back and you deal with the past, and you bring it under the blood of Christ. You receive the forgiveness from others. That's what Nehemiah did. His prayer was deliberate. It was, it was over a season of time. But uh, he also put the past to bed first. Now he shifts a little bit. And now he's going to ask God to help him have a new beginning. Help the nation. Well, notice how he prays, and this is interesting. Verse 8 says, and he's talking to God in prayer. He says, remember the word you commanded your servant Moses. Now, it's not because God has a slight bit of dementia, okay, that God is forgetful. He's going to base his prayer on scriptures in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. Books of the Bible that were written hundreds of years before this, they stayed in the mind and the thinking of the people, and they saw literally the word of God as, as promises from God, and they would stand on that word. And then he basically summarized it in and, and, and Le- Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It says, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. That's what happened to them. That's why the exile. But if you, here's God's promise, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, I'm going to gather them and bring them back to the place I've chosen. In other words, there's Jews all over the Roman Empire that have escaped, all over the Mediterranean world. There are Jews now that are in exile and captivity. God says, I can bring all of them home. And it's an incredible thing. In our, we watch in 1948 the nation of Israel, that small speck of dirt there in the Palestinian land, in, in that whole area of Palestine, That small speck of dirt became a nation again. And Jews have been migrating back home ever since that. We're witnessing the same thing in our day. But here's what I want you to see. His prayer was based on God's word. His prayer was based on what God had said in the past. Uh, I've shared often about a battle that I had after my wife had breast cancer. And praise the Lord, she's over five years cancer-free now. But... After her struggle, I began having panic attacks and just kind of, I don't know, they just said it was some kind of anxiety disorder. Doctors, I went to see them. They helped, but they didn't make it go away. Counselors, they helped, but they didn't make it go away. All that worked together, but something that I did spiritually that that helped me uh, uh, live. I had this feeling that was so overwhelming that I just didn't feel like I could even get out of my house sometimes. And when I would feel that way, I would quote the Scripture. I would quote Philippians 1, I think it's 6 or 8, and it says, God who began the good work in you, he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that, Pastor? When I I couldn't do it, I looked to God because he had a responsibility to take me where I couldn't take myself. And I felt like a little child just taking hold of Daddy's hand. And Daddy walked me through. And another scripture was in Corinthians. When I'm weak, then I'm, strong. then I'm strong. Well, I didn't have strength, but I would get out on my knees before I would do anything that was intimidating to me. And I would say, God, I don't have this ability on my own. Would you anoint me? Would you help me? Would you give me your strength? And can I tell you, friends, it was an anchor to my soul. God's word, it's powerful. He prayed God's word. Uh, let me ask you this question. How many have ever felt, I don't know, like the Lord spoke to you personally in some way or maybe somebody gave you a personal prophecy and you judged that it was true, but that word from God really gave you strength to face something? How many can say, "I've yeah, it, that's normal Christianity? Uh, listen to what Paul said about Timothy. Now, this is a pretty profound thought. He said, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the, Prophetic words, this is not a predictive prophecy. This is a word of encouragement from someone to a person. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you... Fight. Say it again. Fight. May the prophetic words help you fight in the Lord's battles. Now listen, we we battle ourselves. It's an emotional battle. It's a spiritual battle in my case. Part part of my anxiety issues took on a spiritual dimension. And uh, it, it was a fight. And it's still a fight to this day. But I can remember one morning I was in bed. And I went to get out of bed and I heard a voice. And I don't mean a voice with these ears. But somehow in my spirit I heard this voice. And it was as real as if my wife was speaking. And this voice said, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. And it was the voice of the Lord speaking to me. Uh, now, don't dissect it. How it happened, I can't tell you. But all I can tell you is this. It gave me something to fight with. That God told me I'm coming back. That God told me that I'm going to help people when I come back. And it gave, it, it was a, a flashlight on a dark night to me. It was turning on the switch. And God's Word has that kind of power when we seek His face. Uh, it's like if you fell down, a, I don't know, a deep hole or a deep well and you couldn't get out, and you didn't have the strength to pull yourself up on a rope, and they dropped a ladder down in that hole, and you started climbing out in Philippians 1, 6, and then 2 Corinthians 5, and then the prophetic word, and before you know it, you're standing on solid ground. Yeah. Yeah. This is what Nehemiah did. He say, well, I wish that would happen to me. It can, yeah. but it probably won't happen if you pray a 10-second prayer and hit the microwave button. Nehemiah had he, he he sought God for this new beginning for days. Let's move on, verse eleven. He said, "Lord, hear, let your ear be attentive to my prayer. Give me success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king. I was cupbearer to the king. So here's the picture. First of all, he got the mind of the Lord and the burden of the Lord, and he prayed about it. He wanted to do something, and he realized the king had the power to make it happen. So what he did is he went to the king, and he was going to talk to him. But the power, the problem is, this is an autocratic guy. He's a dictator. If he didn't like you, cut your head off. And uh, basically, what Nehemiah uh, was going to do was, was a stretch. But here's I want to ask you a question. When you think about the cupbearer to the king, this guy had life made. He had, I'm sure he had a good house. I'm sure he was probably married. Yeah, he didn't have any problems. He didn't need a new beginning. But the kingdom of God, the work of God did. But here's my question. Why was Nehemiah in that position? Why did this slave end up being a friend of the king? Was it his his own ingenuity? Was it his educational background? Or was it God directing his steps? Why did God allow him to have success, influence, and the resources he had? Now a better question is, look in the mirror. Why has God given you the success, the influence, and the resources He's given you? Is it just for you to have bigger, better, and more? Or is it possibly that God wants to use part of what He's given you in a kingdom fashion? See, this has happened many times in the Bible. There's a woman named Esther. Esther was a slave girl. And overnight, she's the queen. And then this evil guy, his name is Haman, he wants to kill all the Jewish people. They're always wanting to kill the Jewish people. That's the devil behind that. Uh, Haman wanted to kill the Jewish people. Her uncle Mordecai, though, says, Hey, look, Esther, maybe you can help us. Listen to what he said. He said, If you keep quiet at this time, someone else will help and save the Jewish people. Who knows? You may have been chosen queen for just such a time as this. Now, let me give you some application in our church relocation. I have just been honored and amazed at the people that have been going out and doing demo work. Not just Listen, when I show up, they have to give me the tool, and, the, and I say, yes, sir, and whatever you need me to do. But there's people that have a brain that know what they're doing. They have skills. We have construction people. We have engineers and architects. And they have realized that this project is not like building the bank, and it's not like building the next grocery store in town, that this is a God project and they see it as a god project and they're personally investing in it. They're helping, they're bringing their skills to bear into a work of that. it's part of their legacy. It's part of god turning something into good. Well, how about all of us? You know, I made light just a minute ago of maybe you're somebody that's going to park here one Sunday and the next thing you know you're parking there. Don't settle for that. You have something you have something to in the future ministries that are going to be birthed at the church. Uh, perhaps you have money, financial resources, that will help us tremendously. You know, uh, we're trying to raise a lot of money, but God can do that. Uh, but maybe God has entrusted you some wealth. This is why I'm taking time over these next six weeks to ask you to pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because this is an investment that will impact spiritual people's lives for decades to come if Jesus tarries. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. I'm going to close with this. Here's Nehemiah. First he saw the need of the problem. He took it to heart. He prayed this deliberate strategic prayer. And then he approached the king. And listen to what the king said. This is cool. Nehemiah chapter 2. The king said to me, verse 4, Nehemiah, what do you want? Now, how many know you don't get many bosses that are going to say, what do you want? Usually, you're there for the boss. Not he's, he's not there for you. But in this case, God turned the heart of the man. Do you realize God turned the heart of a man? I believe his name was Arden. No, what was his name? Uh, when the Jews were in captivity and he decided to send them back and rebuild the temple on his own. I can't think of his name. Anyway, he was a pagan king. Cyrus, King Cyrus. King Cyrus was not even a Christian or a Jew, as we understand it. But God put on that man's heart to send him back to build the original temple. That's powerful. You can read about that in the book of Ezra. But here the same thing's going to happen. The king said to me, uh, Nehemiah, what do you want? And notice what Nehemiah did. Have you ever done this? When you're in a meeting or when you're in, I don't know what it is, You're, you're you're going to the bank to borrow some money or you're about to deal with an employee, the Bible says, Nehemiah prayed. Now, he didn't stop everything and pray out loud and bow. He just prayed in his mind. He prayed to the God of heaven. And then he answered, I said to the king. Now, why did he do that? You Remember the railroad track illustration? He's trying to be just like that with God. So he prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, send me to Judah. Keep paying me get my job when I get back, but I want you to send me down there, and it's going to take a number of months because they're going to make me the governor. Send me down there, and I'll rebuild it. So it pleased the king to send him. And then he said to the king, he kept asking, if it pleases the king, give me letters to the governors of the province so I can pass through safely. And then he kept going, verse 8, give me a letter to a guy named Asaph the guy who keeps your forest, so he'll give me timber to make the beams for the gates. Because it doesn't do any good if I get down there if I don't have any boards to build stuff with. And notice what it said, and this is such a powerful scripture. The king granted me what I asked. Why? Not because he had taken a Toastmasters class and he was prolific in his presentation. Not because he, had, uh, he, had ate, not because he got the king drunk with some really good wine, you know what I mean, before he asked him and got him in a good mood. None of that manipulation it was the favor of God. The Bible says, the good hand of my God was upon me. And can I tell you this, friend, the same good hand of God will be upon you and be upon me when we set ourselves to do his work. Whether it's a new beginning that's going to honor him in our personal life or whether it's a new beginning as a church family, when we, set ourselves to seek the Lord and do that railroad track thing with God, God's going to pour out his blessing and he's going to pour out his favor. And you'll look back one day and say, I'm glad I did. Come on, give the (laughs) Lord a good hand. He's worthy of praise. Well, I'm going to close with this. And hopefully you're going to come. Your stomach can growl a minute or two. You're going to make it today. But I want you to come just for a few minutes to go over to the Gander Mountain. Bring your children and, and just walk around it and look and begin to dream with me. See the layout of the building. Take a minute and pray for some different areas. If you don't know where it is, you just get back on I-30 towards Dallas and you get, take the university. Everybody say university. university. Think of A&M University. You take university and whenever you stop, there it is right there. You can't miss it. But uh, I want to share a, look, a quick video uh, from one of our staff members, Pastor Mike and Sharon. Uh, they're over our outreach ministries, and they're going to share a little bit about what our church does in our community. But remember what I told you, more room is more people, and more people is more ministry. Well, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Take a take a peek here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close.
1: My wife and I are excited about new beginnings and our new home at the former Gander Mountain. As pastor has said, More space means more people. More people means more ministry. And more ministry means a greater impact, especially in our local community. You know, my translation of that is, the bigger the rock, the greater the impact. And Church on the Rock is gonna be bigger. It will be twice the footprint, which means there's gonna be a lot more people, uh, easier to get around, more room for people, 10 more classrooms. So the ministry in the building itself will be greater, But what makes great ministry is people and leaders. And so as people come, more leaders will rise up. My wife and I are over outreach ministries, which we wanna tell you a little about.
2: One of our largest outreaches in our city is Project Hope, which operates under Karen and Artie Rayfield. They're very involved in church under the bridge. They really get into the heart of the homeless community and try and help them any way they can. They also oversee our House of Grace, which is a home for single moms with children who most of them don't have anywhere to go. This gives them a chance to save money so they can move out into an apartment on their own, get a good job. They also oversee Furnished by Faith, which once they get into an apartment or a home, then they can get some furniture. They'll go in and they'll furnish the whole house as best as they can. They have a laundry ministry twice a month. They bring laundry detergent and quarters and let people do their laundry so they'll have clean clothes. And here recently, they have just started delivering food to senior citizens because their monthly budget gets really tight.
1: You know, our mentality at Church on the Rock for outreach is find a need and meet it but it can't be done just with staff. People that have a passion for something that find that need, ministries are started, they're birthed, and they're maintained by a leader. So it takes a leader to do those ministries. Matter of fact, we had a lady that came to our church who was praying to God, God, is there a place for me in our community, a church? So she's praying for a church home. She goes to the bank, goes to the drive through. The little tube comes out uh, you know, from the teller. She opens it up of our invite cards falls out. And at that time, the invite actually said, there's a place for you. She felt that was a sign from the Lord. She came to our church, came to our connect class very quickly, went through that, and then began to do our greeter, uh, greeter ministry. As you walk in the foyer, people that greet you. But it wasn't long after that, she is now leading a team of women that go to the women's jail ministries. And we got somebody like Terry Anderson that not only goes to the men's jail ministry and leads a team there, but leads our Celebrate Recovery. That's an in-house outreach we have that people come to. Uh, They are very limited by rooms. They're meeting in baptism areas and classrooms, but their room they meet in is our Connect Cafe, which really limits their size. I believe that ministry will literally explode when we go to our new facility.
2: I agree. We also go to nursing homes. We visit them. There's two different nursing homes every week, and we also feed the homeless once a month down at the homeless shelter, which I believe we could do a whole lot more if we had more people.
1: You know, one of the ministries I've always been excited about and looking forward to when the fall semester starts is our Sidewalk Sunday School. We call it Boombox Blast. You saw a video of it at the start of this service, but we started that about 15 years ago uh, with one truck. and. You and me. Uh, now we're doing five locations and I just be and reaching 150 to 200 uh, young people. And I was thinking, what if there's a person that comes to our new facility that has a heart for that and they raise up a small team and we get another truck, we'd reach twice as many. So I'm so excited about what God's going to do because a bigger rock, Means a bigger impact, and I believe this is going to be a very large rock that God's given us to make an impact in our community and around the world. The Lord. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet,
0: and uh, we're going to close in prayer. You know, there's just a lot of things obviously that go on that you don't don't see. We are very committed to missions, to outreach. When I say missions, I mean local community, our nation, and uh, and the world. Uh, we figured out the other day we're giving over $2,000 every day outside the walls of this church in some type of Christian ministry. And that's no salaries and no overhead. That's seven or $800,000 a year. Uh, just the other day, uh, uh, or two weeks ago, there was a, a, a little uh, uh, request in our newspaper. It said, uh, uh, elderly people, you know, the heat's getting real bad. If anybody has any extra fans. So we sent $500 to buy fans for people. Uh, this week it was a, uh, one local school district was requesting money or supplies for kids that didn't even have personal hygiene items. So we sent $500 to them. I mean, this is what church does. It, 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 it reaches people for Christ. It helps them get their life in a good, strong place and it encourage them to make a difference in the world. And uh, that's what we're all about. That's why I hope you'll pick up before you go. Pick up this little packet in the lobby and uh, sign up for that vision dessert. The first one is Tuesday. I'll be there. second is Thursday. But I want us to pray right now. If you would join me. I pray every day for new beginnings. I pray primarily in our church. but I'm, and, and you might join me in this prayer. This is why I preached on prayer today. So you'd pray with me. I pray every day that God would watch over every detail in our relocation that God would help the architect, the engineer, that God would help the construction people, that God would give us the right contractors and the right volunteers. I pray that our church building would sell. Now, we, we need to sell this church building. We had a lot of money tied up here. I pray the right person would buy this to be able to help us get over there. Uh, I, I pray every day. But another big thing I pray for is every day now, I'm saying, Lord, what do you want Linnell and I to do in this process? What do you want us to do is in our role of leadership? What do you want us to do financially? You show me, Holy Spirit, and we'll do it. And uh, I hope you'll do the same in prayer with me. Lord, as we close today, I, I want to pray first for my friends that are here today that need a new beginning in their life. I've been there. I've been there with, at 19 years of age, running kind of away from home, lighting something up in the parking lot to get on an airplane and thinking it was cool. I've been there. I needed a new beginning and you gave it to me. I have dear friends today, their marriages, they're ready to walk away. I know people that have lost their jobs. I I know people that are hugely gifted. They're not engaging in any ministry for the Lord. They're at a plateau for whatever reason. I want to pray for all of us today that we would have a new beginning and we would be that railroad track that gets in perfect alignment with God so that our life will have significance and leave a spiritual legacy to impact people to come. I don't want to get to heaven one day and stand before you and have buried my talents. I want to use what you've given me for the glory of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. I want to have this closing prayer for a personal level. They're going to sing one last song and then we'll dismiss so please give us just a moment. Every service we ask our prayer team to come back to the front at the at the end of the service. perhaps there's something that you want prayer for before we go. We'll pray about anything but I can't think of a better prayer is that maybe you need a new beginning in your life. Maybe you're at a plateau or maybe you've been headed the wrong way and you just want you want to, you want to ask God today. you want to start the prayers today. God would help you find a new beginning in your life we'd be delighted to pray but the most important prayer we'd like to pray today is if you're here today and you say pastor my greatest need is to have a new beginning with God the Bible calls it being saved or salvation it it, it is a definite starting point for me uh, I was raised in church didn't take it it's not the church's fault but my problems began piling up on me and I wanted to run away I didn't know what to do but At the same time, a desire for God began growing in my heart. And one day, a Gideon gave me a Bible. And he told me, as we reflected on the cross, he said, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And I knew I'd done wrong. He said, there's a penalty with sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, which means one day there's a judgment to stand before God. But for those who believe and follow Jesus, that judgment will be taken away. And I remember it was August 15th, 1976. In that little Gideon Bible, I wrote my name down that today, I choose to believe in Jesus and follow Him. And those two powerful elements, believing in Jesus and following Him, implies I'm walking away from my old life, and I'm going to walk to Jesus. I'm telling you, friends, it works. The best life you've ever dreamed can be found when you're in the will of God. And it starts by inviting Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if you feel like right now that I'm talking to you, let me suggest that it's not me. Well, it is me, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me to tell you that God loves you and He wants you to turn your heart to Christ. And if you feel that that's you, maybe it could be the first time you've made this commitment or maybe you've gotten away from God and you want to come back. But when they start singing, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold and gutsy. Slip out of your chair and come meet us at the cross. We want to pray for you. We want to give you something that's going to help you. But why moving up here? I'll tell you why. I can't walk away from my past until I take the first step. And it's like the first step towards God is the symbolism of that journey to the cross. It'll change your life. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our last song, our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here to pray for you for anything. But most importantly, if you want to commit your life to Christ, we'll see at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming. And I'll see you over at Gander Mountain.